Good evening. This is uh, the center of everything. I mean, Jesus' followers, we, we, we take up the cross daily. We think about the cross daily. But it's appropriate, it's good, it's wonderful to come together uh, in, in a special way uh, before Easter and reflect more intentionally on the meaning of the cross and the role that it plays in our life. The cross tells us everything we need to know about the heart of God. Tells us everything we need to know about the purpose of God, about what God thinks about us. And this is the center of, of, of reality, this cross. And it's, it's just like God, isn't it? That take a, a, something that well, up to this point was a, a symbol of terror, of horror, uh, a guillotine, an electric chair. It, it was an instrument of torture. And to take that and to turn it upside down and invest it uh, with this meaning where it becomes the symbol of ultimate, infinite love and the revelation of God and the revelation of uh, what he thinks of us, us and the price he was willing to pay. Uh, we are going to use tonight as a way of getting back, believe it or not, to the book of Luke. Uh, we haven't been there for a couple of months and I know many of us are, are, are missing that. Uh, we actually were talking about it and when someone did, checked up on it, we have been in the book of Luke here at Wilton Hills Church for over six years. Nothing like a little obsession disorder, but it's a great book, isn't it? And, and we last left off uh, where Jesus was being crucified. Uh, he's been tried, he's been beaten, arrested, and he's been crucified with two criminals. And so we'll pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 23, uh, starting with verse 39. And we'll read uh, 14 verses here, or actually 17 verses. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are, we're punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me. In paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Was ripped asunder. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God. And said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. That council was the Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come, from, uh, come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. 
but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the command. Lord, make this message come alive like never before. The reality of the cross and all of its meaning would just flow into our hearts and minds and transform us. In Jesus' name. The passage says, I want to draw attention to this one section here where the passage says that the curtain was torn in two. It was ripped asunder. Matthew uh, gets a little more specific. It was ripped in two from the top to the bottom, showing that this wasn't the work of some human being going from earth to heaven. It was a work from heaven down to earth. The curtain was ripped in two. Now that curtain is the curtain that was in the temple. And it's the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, the, the temple area, uh, the common court. It was a temple that, that really symbolized the separation between God and human beings. The Holy of Holies was a place where, in the Old Testament, the high priest could enter uh, alone. Uh, no one else was allowed to go there. And the Holy of Holies was someplace that he would enter only on one day out of the year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And even he had to do it with fear and trembling. And the, tre- trembling. the symbolism here is just thick. This, this, this curtain represented our alienation from God. Our, our estrangement from God. The curtain represented our fall, our sin, our rebellion. That curtain represented our curse, the exile we were in. The curtain represents our bondage to Satan and our blindness. Everything that comes between us and God. Everything that could conceivably come between us and God is represented by that curtain. Jesus leaves the throne of heaven and comes down to earth, and he takes on our humanity. And on Calvary, this time that we're talking about here tonight, when he goes to the cross, he takes on our sin, and he stands in our place. Jesus enters into the place of of, of, of estrangement and alienation from God. He enters into this, this place of judgment as he takes upon the sin of the world on himself. He enters into this domain of darkness, even subjection to the principalities and powers. He stands in our place. That's why, as a way of sort of showing on earth what was being done in the spiritual realm, the earth grew dark. As, as Jesus himself, the Son of God, come down to earth, is enveloped in darkness and stands in the place of condemnation. It wasn't that the Father was angry at him in any kind of a personal way. But Jesus identifies with the whole realm that's under the wrath of God. And in giving his life and surrendering his life over, that, that selfless act of love, the most, the greatest conceivable act of love there could be that was like a Hiroshima bomb going off in the spiritual realm and exploded the chains of darkness. And coming against the principalities and the powers and the, the devil who had us in bondage, This act of love tears the curtain in two. In this one act of love, Jesus entering into our place, everything that separated us from God was wiped away, praise God. The curtain was torn in two. When Jesus died, gave his life, that act of love opened the way up for us to now enter into the Holy of Holies. Not just to enter into it once in a while, but to live there and for the Holy of Holies to come and take residence in us. That this act of love gave us free access to the throne room where we can go boldly to the throne of grace. Because of this act of love, because of what Jesus did, there's now no more separation, no more estrangement, no more alienation, no more curse, no more bondage, no more blindness if we'll simply receive it. The curtain has been torn asunder. And now we're free. Free from condemnation, free to bask in the love of God, free to receive the forgiveness of God, free to be reconciled to God. The curtain has been torn in two. 
Now, what is really interesting to me, aside from that about this story, is that the first people to respond to it, the first three individuals that are mentioned in this passage, are the most unlikely individuals uh, to enter into, uh, to, to walk between the curtain. You would have expected somebody else. We're told about the thief and the centurion and Joseph, the member of the Sanhedrin. None of those are likely candidates. You wouldn't have expected them to be the first to respond positively to the cross. And where are the disciples, the ones who sat under the teachings of Jesus and saw uh, the the miracles of Jesus and and, and, uh, felt the love of Jesus? Where are they? Well, they're off in the distance watching. And in fact, we find from other gospel accounts that they're actually scared and they're in hiding. The first three to enter are so unlikely. This thief... There's nothing about his life that would make us think that he has a heart for God, that he's close to the kingdom. In fact, we learn from the other Gospels that, that he, when he was initially crucified, he, with the other thief, were, were, were joined in the mockery of Jesus. His heart, even an hour earlier, had been hard against God, and he was mocking Jesus. And yet here we find out that all of a sudden, he's seeing that he's an innocent man. And he's asking Jesus to to take him with him uh, into paradise. Something changed. We don't know what it was. But somehow the love of God got through. Somehow when that curtain was torn, the grace of God found uh, an opening in this man's heart. Maybe it was the darkness that came on the earth. Uh, You know, sometimes it takes the the world growing dark before the light comes on. Uh, Maybe it was uh, the, the responses he saw in Jesus as Jesus responded in love to the mockery and how Jesus prayed for the people who were crucifying him. We don't know, but something changed. And this man becomes the first one to respond positively to the curtain being torn. And then there's the centurion. Centurions were loathed by the, the Jews. This was a, a leader of, of a Roman uh, a unit. Uh, the word means one who oversees a hundred, but it became to mean any high-ranking officer who was sort of the, the, the one in charge of a, a military unit. And the Jews despised the Romans for oppressing them, and here was a military leader of this despised military. You'd never dream that a person like him would be have an openness to, to God or respond positively to the cross. Not only was he a centurion, but Luke says he, he refers to him as the centurion. There's only one reason why a centurion would be at an event like this, and that's to oversee the operation of the whole thing. This was a military event. And so here we're talking about the man who was in charge of carrying out Pilate's wishes. This is the man who oversaw the beatings, the scourgings, the whippings. This was the man who was in charge when they were mocking him and spitting at him. This is the one who was in charge when Jesus was carrying the cross. And the one who would have been in charge when, when, when the bystander was, was made to carry the cross. This is the one who was in charge. He oversaw this operation when they pounded the stakes into Jesus' wrists and ankles and put a crown of thorns on his head and mocked him and then pierced his side. This is the man... More than any other single individual who's responsible for every ounce of pain that Jesus experienced, this man is it. The least likely person you'd think to respond positively. And he's seen things like this a hundred times before, maybe a thousand times before. This was a routine event for a Roman centurion. But somehow, when that curtain was torn, things changed. And God found a way to get into his heart. Some opening, some nook and cranny, and, and this man couldn't have had a, a very developed theology, neither could the, the, the thief. 
But insofar as he understood anything, there's something that was pulling him. And so he starts to praise God, the passage says. He starts to worship God. And then he says, surely this was an innocent man that I just crucified. We find in, in Matthew that, it, that he said, surely this is the, the Son of God. And we don't know what he would have meant by that, but there's a positive response in the most unlikely of places in this Roman centurion. And then there's, there's Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin. This organization that had been set against Jesus from the start. This organization, this, this, this political entity that was really like the Supreme Court in the ancient Jewish world. Uh, and they were the ones most threatened by everything that Jesus did. And they were the ones that, that passed the death sentence on Jesus. And here's Joseph, a member of that Sanhedrin. Now, John tells us that he was a secret disciple. Uh, and so this must have been a profoundly awkward position for him to be in. Uh, on the one hand, he didn't want to join into the condemnation, and so he didn't agree with their decision to crucify Jesus. On the other hand, if he would have stood out too much as a sympathizer, he himself could have found himself on the outside getting crucified. He was dancing a very, very delicate dance. He was a person who clearly was an insider. He went to Pilate. He had a private audience with Pilate and was able to ask for the body of Jesus. And that's sort of coming out of the closet in ways because uh, only family members were allowed to get the body of a crucified criminal. Usually they were thrown into, the, into a common grave. And so in asking for the body of Jesus, Joseph is really saying he's like family to me. And the fact that Pilate would grant this shows that he had an inside track to Pilate. Some kind of private audience with Pilate. He was calling in a favor here. But it also raises the question, why didn't he do that earlier? He didn't try to intervene to stop the crucifixion in the first place. He was in this kind of awkward position. We don't know. But that a member of the Sanhedrin would come and now respond positively to the crucifixion and want to bury Jesus in his own tomb, a tomb that he owned, is most unexpected. All three of these candidates, the thief, the centurion, uh, the, the member of the Sanhedrin, are the most unlikely to be close to the kingdom of God, to respond positively. And where are the disciples? Well, they're hiding seems like Jesus' death was just like his life. There's always a surprise. It's always the unexpected. It's an upside-down kingdom. From the start, it was like that with Jesus. And what we find here when the curtain is torn, it just sort of manifests in, a, in an extreme way, would have been true throughout his ministry and what he taught throughout his ministry, that those who you thought were on the inside find themselves at least for the time being on the outside. And those who were sure that they were outsiders are all of a sudden finding themselves on the inside. And the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And those who think that they're righteous turn out to be sinners, and those who are sinners turn out to be made righteous. And the Pharisees who are sure that they're the closest to the kingdom find themselves out on the street. But the prostitutes who are working the street find themselves close to the kingdom. Everything is upside down in the kingdom of God. And now as Jesus dies, well, it's just that to, uh, to the nth degree. Uh, everything you'd expect to be true turns out to be false, and things you thought would be false turn out to be true. When the curtain is torn... All of our common sense assumptions just go out the window. Everything that you would think would be normal is no longer normal. And, 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 and what seems absurd now becomes normal. Those who are the farthest end up entering first. When the curtain is torn, what it shows is that absolutely nothing else matters. When that curtain is torn in, in two, and the separation between God and humanity is over, well, all bets are off. And now there is this overflow of God's love and grace that says, Ali, Ali, in free. Nothing else matters. And so, as I'm talking to you here tonight, it means that it does not matter at all what has gone on in your past or what's going on in your present, what's going on maybe even before this service or what's going to go on tomorrow. 
It doesn't matter how close you think you are or how far you think you are. It doesn't matter how society may rate you, how holy or how unholy, how righteous or unrighteous, how high you may be or how low you may be, how esteemed you may be or how, 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 how infamous you may be. It doesn't matter. When that curtain is torn in two, there's this arm hug around humanity. As, as all were in Adam, so all are in Christ. And now all have access to the Holy of Holies. In fact, the Holy of Holies invades us. The presence of God comes down to the earth. And so the, question, the only question worth asking is this. Will we respond positively? Wherever we're at, the thief and the centurion and Joseph, we're all at different places. But, they, but, but so far as they could, in their understanding at the time, they responded with a yes to this invasion of the Holy of Holies. The other thing that's really interesting about these three is that they represent a broad spectrum of human society. They're, in fact, these three would not have liked each other very much in the real world. They were so different, came from different stratas of society and different political spectrums. This thief... In the other Gospels, he's, uh, they, they use a, a rather technical word to describe him. It's Listes. And Listes was a thief, a robber. But it was a particular kind of robber. At least it was the word that was used to describe this particular kind of robber. Uh, this was a politically motivated robber. These were folks who were part of the revolution, part of the zealots, the sword-carrying zealots. And what they would do, they were like Robin Hood figures. They'd steal from the rich to give to the poor. And they especially liked to steal from... Uh, Roman rich, and they especially like to steal from centurion rich and give to the poor. He would have represented the far left, the extreme left of the political spectrum. The centurion would have represented the opposite. He would represent the right. The, he's the defender of the status quo. He's there to keep things operating the way, they're, uh, the, the, the way, the way that they are at the present. His job was to find listes, these thieves, and to crucify them. In fact, he just crucified this one. And now he hears this thief that he just crucified, this politically motivated robber on the other side of the spectrum, getting into the kingdom of God, and he himself now has the same response. He, the thief on the far left, the centurion on the far right, and the Sanhedrin would have been right smack in the middle because the Sanhedrin was a political enterprise that had to make peace with everybody. And so they had to deal with Roman centurions, but they hated them. They had to deal with these political radicals, but they hated them. And so he's right in the center. And yet when the curtain is torn, we don't find one comment about any of that, do we? When the curtain is torn, all that is rendered completely irrelevant and insignificant. The picture I got actually today as I was putting together these thoughts is this. The curtain is torn in two. And as it is, you see this tsunami, as it were, rushing through. It's a tsunami of God's love and a tsunami of God's grace, a tsunami of God's forgiveness. It's the Holy of Holies. And now it flows through this opened up curtain. And, and it's like, if you, you recall the images from this recent catastrophe in Japan of these 30, 40-foot wall of, of water that rushing violently to the shore. And I got this picture of all of our interests and concerns and things we think are so important are like little tiny children's sandcastles that we're building on, on, on the beach. And here comes this tsunami. And when that tsunami, the second this tsunami hits the shoreline, those sandcastles are just wiped away into oblivion. We think, we think things are so important. Uh, where you stand, what's your opinion? Uh, what's your nationality? What's your political allegiance? Uh, where's your social status? How much money do you have? What's your reputation? Who likes you? Who doesn't like you? How does society rate you? How, how good has your past been? How, how jaded is your past? Uh, what are your struggles in the present? How righteous do you look to others? All of those things seem so important by, in, in, in society and especially in religion. But folks, 
They're sandcastles. <laughs> They're sandcastles, and then a tsunami of God's love that flows through this ripped curtain just wipes them all away in a split second. They mean nothing. They mean nothing. This is why we encourage people, when you come into the tsunami of God's love, when you walk through that torn curtain, when you enter the kingdom of God, don't invest any significance in the things that the world finds so important. Sandcastles. Don't invest any significance in your own political opinions or in your nationalism. Don't invest any significance in, in your race or, or your gender or your social status or your education or your reputation. Don't invest any significance in your accomplishments and don't invest any significance in your struggles. They're all sandcastles. And the tsunami of God's love, when we open ourselves up to it, invades us and wipes them all completely away. It also wipes away all the pain, all the sorrow. All of that is to be brought through the curtain, the torn curtain, and laid at the foot of the cross. And the only question worth asking, the only question that God cares about, is will we say yes? Will we say yes to this outrageous act of grace? Will we say yes to this infinite act of love of God becoming a human being, taking on our condemnation on the cross, and, 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 and destroying the wall that separated God from us? Will we respond? We're going to take communion here. We're going to enter into a time of worship and celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this is a way for we who are followers of Jesus to reiterate our commitment to remember what he did and to say yes. And we at Woodland Hills, we invite everybody who's a believer of Jesus. doesn't matter where you are and your walk with him. And there's no contest here. No, no. Once the curtain's torn asunder, we all come in. You may be where the thief at the, on the, the cross was. Maybe... Maybe you're the thief that's breathing your last breath. Maybe you're like the centurion who's, who's responsible for every, every uh, uh, stripe, every piece of pain that Jesus experienced. In fact, truth is we're all that centurion. Or maybe you're more like Joseph, the member of the Sanhedrin, who looks better on the outside, but you need grace as much as anybody else. Wherever you're at, the only relevant question is, will you say yes? Will you respond yes? And so we come together and we have a time of worshiping God. And I encourage you to put out every consideration and now show what God is worth, express worth by focusing exclusively on Him. And imagine who you're singing to and what you're singing about. Imagine that cross. Enter into it with all five senses. We also are encouraging you to, when you feel so led, you have a piece of paper there. And symbols can be very, very important. And I encourage you to write on that piece of paper, your sandcastle. Maybe it's something that you have kind of been proud of and now you need to let it go. Maybe it's some pain. Maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's some woe. And now's the time to say, with this torn apart curtain, this is wiped away. This is a sandcastle. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. That's what the rip curtain means. Your divorce can't separate you from the love of Jesus. Somebody needs to know that right now. Your abortion can't separate you from the love of Jesus. That ongoing habit's not going to separate you from the love of Jesus. Let the tsunami flow. Let the tsunami flow. That sense of alienation you've got or that sense of being an absolute hopeless outsider, that's of the enemy. That, that can't separate you from the love of God. Let that tsunami flow. Let that tsunami flow. Respond positively to the curtain and you're as much an insider as anybody can be an insider. I encourage us to write that on the cross, uh, on that piece of paper, and bring it up here. And we'll have uh, some folks up here who will take that paper you can fold it up, and no one's going to be looking. Just fold it up, and then they'll nail it to the cross here. That's a way of saying, I'm leaving this at the cross. I'm setting that aside. I'm letting the tsunami wash it away. And then we have on the side of the auditorium, communion table set up and also in the center. 
And we encourage you as you do this to go and just uh, take the cup and take the bread. Remember the broken body of Jesus. Remember the shed blood of Jesus. For those of you who need it, we've got gluten-free bread uh, right behind the, the, the camera up here up front. Encourage you to, to take that. And remember the words of Jesus at the Last Supper when he said, he took that bread and he broke it and he says, whenever you take this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Think about this. My body, which was broken for you. And then when you take the cup and drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me, the blood that was shed for you. In this event, the curtain was ripped in two. And in taking this event, we are saying yes. When we're taking these symbols, we're saying yes. Lord, I will walk through. I'll leave it all at the cross. So Father, we ask you now, Holy Spirit, to come. Make the reality of your love real to us. God, and I pray you make the reality of your grace real to us. The reality of your mercy real to us. Father, I pray that your spirit, the tsunami of the Holy of Holies, the tsunami of the love that was unleashed on Calvary, would flow over us right here and right now and heal a multitude of wounds and forgive a multitude of sins and wash away every sand castle that maybe we've invested. We thought it was a real castle made of rock, but it's just sand. Oh, God, just wash it away. Wash it away. Help us to let it go and reign over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Many waters cannot quench your love. Rivers cannot overwhelm it. Oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me. Many waters cannot quench your love. Rivers cannot overwhelm it. Oceans of fear cannot conceal your love for me. Your love for me. invest so much significance in it's all sandcastles we're going to continue to worship god uh, for for a little bit more um and just kind of like open up the whole thing if if uh 
you'd like to come forward and lay something at the foot of the cross, uh, we've nailed it there. But if you want to come up the altar and worship around here, uh, if you want to sit where you are, if you want to stand where you are, when you feel like it's time to leave, free to do that. Uh, please take your conversations out into the gathering area to allow those who want to continue worshiping uh, to, to do that. And I want to just pray this prayer as we transition, Father, that uh, we'd be a people who really, really do lay it all down, lay it all down, uh, all the sand castles, God, just to let the tsunami of your love, that rushing mighty water flow over us and cleanse us and heal us and restore us and replenish us, and that we would be a people who stand in Christ alone, by your grace alone, by your love alone, the cross, the cross, God, it's our whole identity, it's what we're about, it's the meaning of our life, it's our view of you, Lord, drive it into the inner recesses of our heart. As we leave this place, when we feel led to lead it, leave it, uh, Lord God, to be a people who just get our total life and worth and identity from the cross. Amen.